Hello everyone, um, I'm Asha Murthy, the CEO of the Australian Council for Educational Leaders. And this morning I have the pleasure of speaking with our new voice scholars of the class of 2019. So we're doing this on the sidelines of our national conference, vision and voice um, setting the learning agenda. So I'm gonna start off with asking each of our five new voice scholars that we have to give a brief introduction of themselves, after which we'll um, go into some questions and some discussion. Uh, just so you know, we uh, award these scholarships, uh, we have been for the past five years, this is the fifth year, and this year we have 18 um, New Voice Scholars um, that are present at this conference, but we've got five of them up on stage here today. Okay, so let's start with you, Lisa. Hello, I'm Lisa Campbell. I'm from a small um, school in Karatha, Peggs Creek Primary School, and I'm currently the Deputy Principal. Hi, I'm Scott Durex from Salisbury's High School. I am the Senior Leader of Alternative Programs. Um, Salisbury's High School is in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. Hi, I'm Karis Hillmelms. I'm a Visual Arts, Humanities and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders Studies teacher at Miami State High School on the Gold Coast, and I also work as the school's identified Indigenous education worker. I'm David Cole. I'm the Director of Teaching and Learning at Thomas Hassel Anglican College in Southwest Sydney. I'm also just finishing off a Master's of Research in uh, 21st Century Education. Hello, my name's Alexandra Harper and I work for the New South Wales Education Standards Authority uh, as setting up teacher accreditation for the early childhood teachers across New South Wales. Fantastic, thank you all. Uh, I just also wanted to mention that the scholarships are across four categories, educational leadership, educational research, indigenous leadership, and, and the very recent one, which is early education and care. So uh, the, the, the uh, people we have on stage actually represent all those categories. Okay, let me start off by the first question for all of you, and that is, um, about what do you see as the challenges for education in Australia? Now, we've been talking about that over the last day and a bit, and you've heard from policy makers, you've heard from obviously our keynote speakers, the thought leaders, the concurrent sessions. So from your own perspective, what do you think are some of the major challenges? And perhaps we'll start with you, Alexandra, and work our way here. Thank you very much. The main challenge that I perceive is the narrative of education and the different push and pull in that space of how education is discussed. I am a teacher. Uh, I will always identify as a teacher. I have chosen to move into the policy space. So there are voices that are interchanging between the stakeholders that are involved in the discussion of the narrative of education. And also working in early childhood, it's sometimes othered as subservient to the other areas of education. So I think there's a lot of um, opportunities at the moment to readdress and challenge the narratives of education and look at how we can unite as a whole education sector and drive forth a new narrative that's going to lead us to be the best education system we can be. Terrific, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I really like that. I'll, I'll build on that. Um, this is my area of research is uh, 21st century education. I actually think it poses um, both a problem and a solution for us in schools. Um, we, I think particularly New South Wales, but Australia generally, uh, live in a tension between two paradigms of education. Uh, one is that we have an incredibly neoliberal government that wants uh, standardised results. Uh, it's mentioned the GERM movement, uh, global education reform movement. 
Um, we want to beat everyone in PISA and, and all those international standard testings. We want NAPLAN, we want minimum standards, we want HSE results. Uh, yet then we also have this, but we realise 21st century education is, is this thing, it's important, we need these cross-curricular skills. And so we try to do both and demand both concurrently in schools and I think that's a real problem. I think schools are caught between two. Um, it was interesting in, in the session before they were talking about learning spaces and they noted that 10, 11 and 12 students aren't as into flexible learning spaces uh, and often teachers aren't either because they're at that top end, it gets serious, I need to actually go back to the curriculum uh, and even if you look at the national curriculum we have a knowledge dense curriculum with these nice little 21st century skills layered on top and we're not really doing either very well. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really difficult problem for schools knowing precisely uh, where they fit and what they do. Do they, do they go to the core of who they think they are as schools, back to their moral purpose or do they meet these government demands and expectations? Can you do both mm -hmm. uh, and how does that work? So I think that's a problem for us. Yeah, it's great. Um, so I'm coming at this from an Indigenous perspective and I think the greatest challenge that I see teachers facing in the education system at the moment is being completely and utterly overwhelmed by everything that they're expected to be able to achieve in the time that they're given. So um, looking at the teachers that I work with, um, not only in my own school but across other schools as well, is that when it comes to supporting Indigenous students and working at embedding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspectives, it's really difficult to be able to achieve anything um, that's legitimately meaningful for the children um, and for uncovering the true history of Australia because it's just another box they feel like they need to tick. They get a sense of obligation rather than a sense of genuine enjoyment out of being able to do it. Um, so that's me. Thank you. That's wonderful. Uh, I see the, uh, the greatest challenge at the moment being the uh, the equity issue that has been spoken a lot about in the last couple of days. Um, looking specifically at disengaged learners, um, I mean it's on average we've got 40% of disengagement across our student cohort at the moment and it's something that we need to work together obviously to curb. Um, going back and talking about 21st century learning skills, you're right, it, it's not properly embedded into our practice at the moment. Um, when we look at Indigenous students as well, it's also something that we, um, we don't look at the distance travelled. And we're constantly striving for things like an ATAR, which only 26% of the students are using currently to get into university. So um, that would be a, a massive opportunity for us as well to, to look collectively at the way that we can sort of jointly get the, uh, the tertiary organisations looking at alternative methods of entry. Thank you. Lisa. For me, um, one of the greatest challenges that we are facing in education is around that implement implementation of ideas and that translation into practice. Mm. Um, we are often challenged and overwhelmed as leaders and I would also agree where um, our teachers are also challenged and overwhelmed by translating that into what it looks like in, in practice. Um, and that's, that's an ongoing problem and hence the, the sense of fatigue that's going on with that change. Mm. Look, thank you all so much. So let me just um, you know, loop that in. And I think a lot of what you talked about has come up in all the sessions we talked about. So the narrative. I think is, is, is a powerful piece and we talk about that in the conference even, you know, you want to have a narrative for the event rather than a set of sessions. I mean, your, your uh, point about choices, you know, the choice, do you do this or do you do that and where, do, where are you stuck? Uh, obviously the issue with 
too much work and how do you then focus on specialized areas, areas that need more attention. Um, and again, the implementation challenge, you know, how do you take that forward? That's something what the conference is about, vision and voice. And, and I said that right in the beginning, vision without action is a dream and action without vision is a waste of, waste of time. So you need to link that all up. So as leaders now, thinking about you are all leaders, you're leading learning, you're leading in classrooms and systems in schools, what do you think are the big opportunities? And they're generally almost linked to the challenges, but they can be separate. So perhaps we go the other way this time and start with you, Lisa, and go that, go that way. So something that's really exciting at the moment is that ability for a school or, and or a system and or a network is to be able to um, look at the local context and be able to problem solve, troubleshoot, and come up with some solutions that are going to support teachers support leaders in that endeavour to provide the best education they can within the school context and or within our region. So, and there's many opportunities where I am from um, that is really providing those opportunities and growth within our, within our schools and within our, within our network. Terrific, thank you. Uh, I think a great opportunity that we've got is actually listening, listening to our students. Mm. Um, we heard yesterday that you know, companies aren't doing the same things now that they were doing 10, 20 years ago. And, and my big thing is if we are a company, if we wear that hat, then we're actually not listening to our main customers who are our students. And some of the, the most innovative and forward-thinking schools are those which are built on student choice. So we're looking at the schools of Templestowe College and the Future Schools Alliance who are doing really, really strong work in developing that student agency. And as a result, the, uh, the, the turnaround on those student portfolios um, to get the alternative forms of tertiary entry have been really, really strong. So I think that poses a really, really great opportunity for us. Terrific. Yeah, I totally agree. Building on from what Scott said, I think that uh, student voice is extremely important. Mm. And um, one of the things I've been really fortunate to do in my work is... Um, in a support role working with our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students and developing um, more opportunities for them to create higher levels of visibility within the school community mm -hmm. so that it's not just me being that really typical angry black woman standing up at the, the front of the school going, oh, we need to do this and we need to do that. It's actually the students being able to open up that conversation with um, our school leadership team and uh, with teachers and with other students um, in order to uh, break down stereotypes and share a, a true mm. history that not only... Im nervous and lost my words. Um, that not only creates a greater sense of belonging for Aboriginal mm. and Torres Strait Islander students, but provides opportunity for true and genuine reconciliation and increased cultural awareness of non-Indigenous students. So I think that's where the opportunity is, is really um, empowering students so that they are able to have a better say and more visibility in their own educational journey. Wonderful, thank you. Um, I think we're in a, uh, a really important place as a country educationally. I think we're uh, ready and willing to have a conversation about uh, changing what we've done and uh, what the future might look like. Um, I also think we have an amazing opportunity just in terms of the quality of teachers we have in our country. I think, I think teachers are fantastic. I, I trust in their professionalism. Mm. I know our media doesn't and our government doesn't always, but um, I think... I don't come across too many teachers in my experience of visiting lots of different schools who uh, don't enjoy their job and don't work hard at it. And I think uh, we have an amazing opportunity with highly professional teachers who are dedicated 
to the work of the students in their schools uh, and to, to growing them. And we're also in a place where universities are changing and their entry requirements are changing. The ATAR's potentially breaking down. We've got a curriculum review. Uh, we, we're in, in an ambiguity as a country and I think there's a great opportunity there for us to have a national conversation about where are we going? What are we doing? What does this look like moving forward? Um, I think my caveat on that is that I think I'm always concerned about the rhetoric of our school system is broken and I don't believe that. I don't actually think our school system is broken. I don't actually think teachers are doing a really bad job. Uh, I think it could improve and we could, we could forge a new future mm. um, but I think it needs to come from a place of the professionalism of teachers and educational leaders who have vast experience listening to research, not just throwing everything out the window because it, it hasn't worked for 100 years and moving forward. Absolutely. I think we actually need to build on what we know of education mm. and then activate student voice, activate teacher voice and move forward in a new vision of education. Perfect, thank you. Wow, that's all very exciting. It was very enjoyable listening. Very hard to go at the end of that. Uh, in terms of the early childhood space, we're in a period of unprecedented opportunity. Uh, never before has there been so much international and national attention on what early childhood can contribute to the education space. I suppose, in essence, if you get the foundations mm. correct, Everything that you're doing in primary and secondary, you're building on and amplifying because we've already set children on the best possible life um, trajectories that they can have. So in terms of how we maximise that, I think an important part is we talk about making learning visible. I think it's a time to make teaching visible. And there's a really wealth of fantastic work that early childhood teachers do. It's called pedagogical documentation and it's where they explicitly unpack the work that they're doing with children and making visible teaching and learning and I think there's a real opportunity there for that to influence the narrative about education so there's greater understanding in society of what is happening in teaching and therefore an increased valuing of what teachers do. And there's also an opportunity there for early childhood and primary and secondary teachers to work together and transcend the silos that we've been separated into to look at what we're doing in our pedagogy to learn from each other to provide the best learning opportunities for the children that we are working with. Wonderful. Thank you all so much. That was terrific. And let me just pick up on a couple of points because there were some common themes. And the first one is around student agency and students being part of the solution, students being involved in their own learning, in their own assessment. And I think that comes through loud and clear. Uh, we've been doing a bit of work on student voice and we'll be doing more uh, in the coming year. Uh, but it's particularly true in secondary school as well because students going into this world that we're in uh, and again I talk about that quite often you know we're talking about an iConnected world we're talking about a con world which has radical relatedness and ubiquitous connections so it's the rise of an individual so there's, there's a lot happening there so that's one piece and the other one is about the system being broken and absolutely correct um, I think the wonderful teachers doing an amazing job and, and one of the things we constantly ask for is tell us about that. Tell us what you're doing because we want to shift that narrative through our publications, through our conferences, etc. So to round this up, and I think we're down to sort of five minutes, um, 
If there is one thing you could do, if we had a magic wand, each of you, and we'll keep it short and sharp, if there's one thing you can do, you're a leader in education, you're a system leader, or perhaps even the Minister of Education, and you had one thing, you had a magic wand, don't worry about resources, don't worry about money, what would you do? So we'll start now with Karis. We'll go in the middle, and then we we'll go around. We'll give her a first go. Hey, Piggy in the middle. Um, so I've actually been thinking about this a fair bit, and in my head when I imagine the concept of a magic wand, it's not really so much a fairy godmother sharing this message of whimsy and benevolence. It's this really amazing, strong, powerful warrior carrying a message stick, and that message is of understanding. I feel like uh, in the, the space that I work in, um, my greatest enemy is ignorance. And obviously there are going to be times when us as educators or students or people who work in leadership, you don't know what you don't know, but it's, you know, it's the 21st century. We literally have the world at our fingertips. Like there's no excuse for ignorance yeah. anymore. And there is so much to, to be shared about who we are as a nation and so much of that that we can start effectively integrating into our teaching practices to provide our students with an opportunity to be really well-rounded, intelligent, intellectual world citizens. So, yeah. Fantastic. My magic wand to do stuff with understanding. Okay. So pass it on to whoever you want. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, look, I've, I've gone through some of uh, the things that I would obviously use the magic wand towards. Um, but one thing I love, which came out yesterday, was, was that notion of the, the experts in education uh, or the loudest experts are seemingly not the experts at all. And so what I would actually love to do is, is change that societal understanding mm. um, of education and, and what we actually do. Um, I, I think a lot of the education needs to go through to the parents and obviously filter through to the media mm. as well to really let them understand the state and, and the world that our kids are working in at the moment and how dynamic and changing that is in order for us to set them up for the best possible outcomes later in life. Terrific. Thank you. Lisa? One of the themes that I'm picking up from the conference is around this idea of a learning culture. And so learning not only for children but also for um, teachers and educators on staff at a system level, at a school level and also at an individual level. And so it's through that collective wisdom that we build the best possible learning environments that we possibly can. Perfect. Thank you. David? I'm going to give you a bit of a cheat answer, which is what I wrote in my article. I don't think there is a magic wand. I think school change is uh, incredibly hard. It's incredibly slow. Uh, even trying to change um, one school itself is an incredibly difficult process, let alone entire systems or nations. Um, but I think governments need to uh, engage with the professionalism as teachers, uh, stick to a policy uh, and actually see it through for more than uh, perhaps one election cycle. Um, if you look at... Uh, I know Finland's kind of going out of fashion a little bit, but you look at the success of their nation, that was made on policy decisions 30 years ago that mm. the government stuck to for decades, uh, and that grew success in their, in their educational mm. outcomes as well as their societal outcomes. So I think we actually need consistent educational policy that trusts in the educational uh, expertise and professionalism of teachers. OK. I'm going to build on what Lisa said because I also believe in the power of the collective... And with my magic wand, because I'd be denied the opportunity to wish for a million more wishes, which mm -hmm. would do with your first wish if you had a, a magic wand, 
I would look at how we could address the barriers that have been set up in education that's across sectors and across the ages of the children and young people that we work with. So look at how we can transcend those compartments that have been established so teachers can work together to be their best for themselves and for the children and young people they're working with. And I sort of, in my vision, how that would turn into action is very much inspired by bees and the sense of a hive. Bees are very industrious and teachers are very industrious. But if you build one cell of the hive and have it in isolation and silo, it has no strength, it has no impact. But if we work together, imagine the beautiful hive that we can create and never forget, bees have a bit of fun too. So we should always remember to play. Terrific. Thank you all for your perspectives. That was, that was fantastic. And I think what you covered there was really some big ideas. And I agree with you, David. There is no magic wand. I mean, that is uh, uh, not the case. However, I think there are big ideas and they need to be bold ideas. And, and, and even idea of sticking to what you want to do for a while. Uh, you know, making educational education actually bipartisan. I mean, that's not such a novel idea, but I think we can go back to that. Um, early childhood, I think you talked about the foundations. I think it's incredible. But collective wisdom um, and, you know, the power of crowds, I think the wisdom of crowds. So big ideas, great ones, and you can all... A lot of people in the room now, so you can all see why it is that uh, this wonderful group of people are um, five of our New Voice um, scholars for 2019. So thank you all so much, and uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. Uh, you've got another year where you can, almost like a Miss Universe thing, so you've got a year in which you can contribute and get a lot uh, out of this. So thank you all for coming, and um, thank you. Um, so that's us signing off. Thank you very much.